Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two brothers talk about something they like. And that thing is comic books. I'm one of the two brothers and kind of comedian and lifelong comic book fan. And just, you know, mostly a stand-up dude. You know, just a stand-up guy. Just a good dude. Will Hines. And I'm the the bad boy of this family. <laughs> the Sort of the rough and tumble devil may care uh other brother kevin hines yeah and um so we get a lot to cover we're starting a new chapter in our podcast today kevin aren't we yeah um we so for a long time we were doing a series we called mutants and mailbag where we covered clerch claremont's x-men comics and read mail from you our listeners mm-hmm. uh and then we said nah we're done with that we're done with that well i mean we did over a hundred issues. I mean, like, we were like, that's it. Just a few, or just a few, just a few, you know, thirties and 40 issue <laughs> clumps. And then we're done. Yeah. And we said, that's all we can handle a hundred issues of a great comic. <laughs> uh, that's plenty. <laughs> and so now we're moving on to a new series. We're going to start covering John Burns, fantastic four run, which I think doesn't even run a hundred issues. Right. We might be done today. We could get through it today. <laughs> uh, 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 so we're going to be covering his comics while we do email. This was a thing we didn't do when our podcast started. We did not have mailbag episodes. We certainly didn't have mailbag episodes paired with legendary runs. This has become part of our podcast where we talk about comics for a few weeks, and then we do mailbags where we talk about different comics in a way that no one can really follow. So you never know what we're going to cover week to week, and it's very confusing yeah. and off-putting. Don't forget our crash courses on some Disney Plus shows. But not all. And then also we have guests sometimes. We sometimes go through batches of guests uh, or just one, like we had J.M. DiMatteis, just for no reason. Just there, right yeah. there. And then mm-hmm. nobody around him, no other guests. He was a solo yeah. guest. Uh, a great we're really, one. I'd, I'd love to have him again. I, oh, I loved it. Um, let's have him every week. Let's re- add him to the uh, milk sops. <laughs> He'd be great. But we're really um, pushing the boundaries of having our podcast be anything that anybody could follow. You know, like people will say like, ah, oh, podcasts, like, uh, it's just about getting to know the personalities and it's like hanging out with the people. And I don't care that it's a little long or whatever. We're we're like yeah. really pushing all that. Yeah, uh, yeah. We also don't let people get to know us that well. We really don't say a lot personal about us <laughs> or even have that much to say. Uh, uh, I will say this about I'm excited about this. Oh, this too. is different than the X-Men. The X-Men we were doing because we were curious. We were educating ourselves. We were like, we should have read this. It's curious. And we really enjoyed it. It was really great stuff. And there's certain parts of it that I thought were really great. And I'm really glad I read certain parts. I was kind of a slog to get through. And we didn't know when those moments were. Love the brood. And you didn't like any of the John Byrne stories. That's right. (laughs) Everyone knows that if they've listened to any episodes. I'm a big brood guy. It's like 12 (laughs) issues was not enough. Stretch it out, Claremont. Um, But But this is a run that like we both loved as kids. Yeah. And so we're getting to revisit. And I've only probably revisited it. I don't know how many times I read it as kids when we had the issues in in bags in a closet. But since I like moved out of our the home, I probably only read it once. Yeah, I, that's probably true for me also. Because when um, the Visionary collections hmm. came out, I read through. That's the, what I did too. I read the vision when the Visionaries, which were at like the mid to the aughts, like two thousand four or something like yeah, that. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I was in New York when those came out, so that sounds right. 
Yeah, with I mean, every now and then I would grab like an issue and and read it. But it was yeah, I, I had the same thing. I read it a ton when we were kids. I would re- I would read each issue a bunch and uh, frequently. And then once we kind of moved on, I didn't look at them again until the mid aughts, and I really did enjoy rereading it. And then yeah, so I'm curious. I wonder what we'll find. What if it's all? What if we hate it? What if it's just like the worst ever? And yeah, maybe at the end of this episode we'll decide we're done with it. <laughs> I'm I'm also kind of excited. To I bet you we will learn stuff about the behind the scenes uh, that that tends to happen just because people will email us, yes, um, or even educate us on things we should already know. We about. should know about, uh, and and also sometimes I think just because our radar will be on it, we'll just catch things on Twitter and stuff that and dig a little pull, pull on strings that we might not have pulled on. Yeah. Imagine so. if hardcore history just involved him guessing <laughs> at what happened in history, and then the next episode correcting himself on every single point. Yeah, uh, that'd I mean, be a bad podcast, right? His listenership might fall from wherever it is to what we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So apparently, I was wrong about who won World War II. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Belgium. It felt like it was going their way. This Axis seemed so strong. I can't Weren't believe we on the Axis. Apparently not. Reader. Uh, told me from the uh, uh, handbook of the World War II universe. <laughs> um, but first, we don't have a name. So Mutants and Mailbags was sort of a name I arbitrarily picked. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and we stuck with, and it, it seemed to work for us. We don't have a name for this series. This John Bird's FF and Mailbag doesn't quite have the same ring to it. But we've gotten suggestions <laughs> from readers. So well, I'm suggesting we read those suggestions before today's episode. Okay, let's do it. So just to remind you, the ones we've had so far, we had Jack uh, uh, Dondonville. Mm-hmm. No, no, that was a, that's a new one. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. Have I, I don't read know. You're, before? you're looking away from the screen at something yeah. else. I have. Yeah, yes, I can't, yes, yes. I I can't help you. Yes, these are new ones. Sorry. Okay. Uh, uh, that's a new one. Here we go. Um, well, do you want me to talk about something else while you get ready? No, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. okay. So these are the suggestions we've had so much. Ben. S emailed us with a suggestion postcards from Yancey Street. Yep. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Then we also had burning mail, I think. A burning mail and burning letters. Okay. And cosmic rays and correspondence from Ticket Kev. Okay. Since then, we've gotten more, Will. All right, let's hear it. So, like, balance those in your head. But we've also gotten uh, uh, this is from Jack Dondonville over Instagram. Mm hmm. The Thing and Things. Fun. It's kind of fun. Fantastic fan mail. Hey, that worked. I like the alliteration. It makes sense. He's not the only person to suggest that one. So if we're going by quantity of suggestions, that's up there with burning uh, burning puns. Okay. But fantastic fan mail. Galactus hungers for your emails. A Long- little bit of a, more of a sentence than a title, but kind of fun. Yeah, could be a great short story. Uh, fantastic fan mail from Brandon Wallace. Okay. So it's two for that. And again, we're not doing this by a voting. Right. And we could ignore all these and just pick something dumb that we like. That's right. That's right. Uh, so what else we got? Uh, here we go. Jacob Hunt suggests burn after reading. Ooh, it's fun. Too bad it's not a Cohen Brothers focus, but that's still kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Eric Tenoy, friend of uh, ours, emails with burn notice. Yeah. Burn slash notice uh, upon on the... <laughs> USA uh, uh, television show because he signs his email USA. He also wrote it in all caps. So he seemed very excited about his pun. 
Uh, what else do we got? We got um, oh, where I got a few more here. Where are they? Vamp. Okay, here we go. Justin oh, Bridge emailed us. I with, thought you were just doing a Nightcrawler trans tra <laughs> teleportation sound effect. I didn't realize it was a command to vamp. Yeah. Uh, Justin Bridge emailed us with burn list. Burn after reading again. Okay. Burn it down. The podcast burns the milk sops. <laughs> uh, also, this seems off topic, but screw it. When are we going to talk about the Legion? He's always pushing us to read the Legion. Okay, yeah, that's pushing uh, his agenda. That's unrelated to what we're doing. <laughs> that would be the worst choice. Yeah. Uh, hey, welcome to uh, Screw It. When are we going to talk about Legion? The episodes where we talk about John Burns' Fantastic Four. <laughs> uh, our brother also suggested some. Well, okay. This is brother Brian Hines. Uh, he has suggested it's Lumpkin time, baby. That's pretty good. Clobber in time and Willie Lumpkin, the Fantastic Four mailman. That's right. Reed Richards. <laughs> I'm liking these. Uh, do you know who would make a good mailman? The Flash. That seems <laughs> that's off. That would be confusing. <laughs> Uncle Benvelope. Okay, wrong, wrong mythology. That's Spider-Man's. And the Dark Knight Return address. I guess he meant Ben Grimm. Uh, no, he doesn't. I mean, he I meant Spider-Man Uncle, Uncle Ben. Because now he's also, doing Dark Knight. He's doing Dark Knight, The Flash, and Uncle Ben. I don't think he was caring <laughs> after a few. Uh, so what do you got, Will? What are, what are your favorites from those? The first one that jumps out to me is Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. Because I think that that clearly says Fantastic Four and Male. It leaves out the John Byrne bit. It also kind of is nice in a series with mutants and mailbags, like just right. in our feed. It'll look kind of like parallel. I agree. It's also not like our Claremont one had Claremont's name in the title. Right, right. So it's a little different because Claremont is more synonymous with mutants than Byrne is with Fantastic Four. But you almost don't need you almost don't need to say Chris Claremont. It's an insult if you say who wrote <laughs> these X-Men comics. I mean, yeah, but but. I so I'm kind of leaning towards cosmic rays and correspondence, but there is something fun about Reed Richards, I think. But um, and uh, postcards from Yancey Street also kind of does it because there's mail and there's Fantastic Four reference yeah, yeah. in there. Although I don't know if Yancey Street is really known too much outside of FF. Although I guess the people who listen to this podcast that would that would work. <laughs> yeah, fine. I guess so. Stan Lee would get it. Um, I'm kind of surprised that nobody used the world's greatest comic magazine like you know, world's greatest mailbag episode or something like that. I think people thought twice about it because they did not think our podcast <laughs> is the world's live greatest. So yeah, I mean, the hype was I don't much. think the Fantastic Four was either when they started, when Stan Lee just proclaimed it, the world's greatest <laughs> comic. It was like issue three. <laughs> and it was the one with the hypnotist guy. Like it was, it was like a bad issue of the series. I mean, it eventually became true for a little while. Yeah, it's... It, uh, yeah, I guess I guess uh, there's a you know dress for the job you want kind of. That's right. Yeah, kind of tagline hype. for the job you want. Okay, I think we should go with uh, correspondent, uh, cosmic rays and correspondence. Yeah, I think so too. All right, that's our winner. So who gets the no prize? Uh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep track of who suggests these things. Uh, Ticket Kev on okay. Twitter. All right. Thank you, Ticket Kev. You have named our episodes. At least for now, we might change our mind. We don't do anything yeah. consistently. But so Ticket Ticket Kev, you get a no prize. You get two no prizes. Everybody else gets one no prize. Yeah, everyone else gets one no prize. Ticket Kev gets two. So he gets one. He can give one to a friend. That's right. That's Oh, what a what a gift. And um, 
Yeah, Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. Now, before we even dive into it, Kevin, I want to do something I should have talked about first, which is I want to do an MCU check-in. MCU, yeah. Okay. Uh, last time we talked about everything, I thought. I know, but I, I watched the last episode of She-Hulk, which I had okay. not watched. So we should and... be doing it now. We shouldn't have done it last week. Yes, that's right. We okay, shouldn't have great. done it at all last week. You I wanted to talk a little bit about Werewolf by Night last time. So I see. Okay. Um, and, uh, okay, yeah. So the reason I want to bring it up is I we last episode I had said how I really enjoyed the She-Hulk series. I still do. The last episode did not change that. But the last episode of the, okay, this will be spoilery. So skip ahead like five minutes if you don't want to be spoiled on She-Hulk. Right. The last episode of She-Hulk is very breaking the fourth wall, and it's very mm-hmm. much in the spirit of the John Byrne um, ep, yeah, you know, I, chapter of the She-Hulk comics. I didn't get into anything about the finale last time we talked about because I was. I, there's no way for me to talk about that finale without spoiling it for you. I'm glad you didn't, because yeah. up until the last episode, there had been very minor fourth wall breaking, um, with like She-Hulk occasionally saying, "What is this going to be? The episode? Is this it here? You know what I mean?" Or yeah. it's like, "Isn't this my show? Why should we worry about like?" But but pretty minor. Like you could almost cut all those stuff out and not like hurt anything. Whereas the John Byrne chapters of the She-Hulk when she had her own title, the sensational She-Hulk, it was like major fourth wall breaking, like huge Very jokes, quickly, plot yeah. points. Yeah, not, like right, issue, not right away, but by, like issue two by or issue three. three, she is she is like leaping through panels and talking about it. And that is how she solves problems. Often. Yeah, what are the ones she like cuts through an advertisement? She like mm-hmm. rips open the panel and she cuts through the advertisement and then to skip town. And that yeah. something like that happens in the final episode of the Disney show, show where she goes out to the DVD menu and goes into another series to like talk to somebody. Extremely John Byrne. Yeah. And it's extremely John Byrne that like a store, an ending kind of starts to happen. And she basically goes to talk to Kevin Feige ish, the creator of the Marvel, the MCU talking to John Byrne. Yeah. And, and, and vetoes the ending and picks a new one, which then happens. Yeah. Um, I was really impressed at how by doing that, they sort of checked all of the boxes of what you could put in a She-Hulk adaptation, at least in Easter egg form. I mean, even the same episode, they did a parody of the original Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk television series which credits. Which delightful. Which delightful. Yeah, they did like a very faithful parody of, you know, the you wouldn't like me when I'm angry mm-hmm. opening from the 70s TV show. They the also kind of- and everything, yeah. Yeah, it's great. They also did a parody of the original comic book incarnation of She-Hulk, the savage She-Hulk, where she was- much more like the Bruce Banner Hulk, like an angry, out of control, separate personality. Like so, and then they also did the John Byrne fourth wall breaking. Hey, Byrne, what's going on here? I thought I was going to get Doctor Doom this up, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah stuff. Yeah. Kind of did it all. So, on one hand, I was impressed. I was like, man, they really went for it. Yeah, and they and they did it. Uh, it was funny. Why did I not like it? <laughs> I cannot. I hate def- it. Why did I, can't- I hate it? I can't Probably defend it. it was a female character, and I don't like female characters. Man, maybe maybe it was some misogyny of mine that I don't want to admit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I do think Tatiana was absolutely brilliant, uh, and I, you know what, I would watch another season. So who am I to say? Like it, it worked. There was my initial reaction was I didn't like it initially because 
I liked that it was more subtle and that small. And I also don't really love those John Byrne issues from rereading them. I was like, I, remember, I don't like yeah. how much meta stuff that was happening. So when they went all out, I was like, ah, oh, this feels like sort of it's a cop out, right? You have this to 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 have an ending and then sort of be like, ah, the the ending is us not having the ending. Right, right. Which was my initial reaction, like the day I watched it. Okay. The moment I watched it, I was like, ah, do I like this? I don't think I do. It's a cop out. A- yeah. And uh, 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 Dan Gavazdin of uh, uh, <clears throat> Amazing Spider Talk made the comment. It's like, you don't even get the ending that she sort of pitches, really. It sort of like just skips that even. So you don't even get like a different ending. They just skip. It's over. Yeah. The ending is her talking to Kevin Feige. Yeah. Um, and he's right. Like, there's some like if you got an an ending, maybe it it that doesn't feel like as much of a cop out. That was sort of my initial reaction. But I I think about that ending a lot. Yeah, like it stays with me in a way that other like, yeah, like the ending Marvel's of Hawkeye, ending. Yeah, uh, other shows that I've enjoyed, even like other than like Loki. Uh, I guess WandaVision I remember pretty well, but like most of the other endings, I'm like, oh yeah, they. I remember I liked Falcon and Winter Soldier. I know a lot of people found it not great, but I liked it. But I the ending didn't stick with me. This ending for sure will always be a thing I think about. That's true. And it, That's and it wasn't like it didn't play fair. It it plays fair within the She-Hulk universe for sure. Yeah. Um. So so I kind of came around to it and being like, it wasn't. I didn't think it was great. But I, I went from like, I don't like this to being like, no, this is the right ending for this show, I think. You know, what's interesting is when she goes into the writer's room of the She-Hulk show. Yes. The way she does this is she goes into the DVD menu of Disney Plus and goes into one of the behind the scenes documentaries of Marvel. And so she's in the behind the scenes about the show, the show She-Hulk. Hey, if you and- skipped ahead five minutes, skip ahead like another four minutes. Okay, yeah. And... um. <laughs> And then she's in the writer's room and some of the actual writers were in there. That was kind of fun. Yeah. W- one of whom was a guy who used to be one of the UCB podcast guys. It was sort of fun to see him. Uh, Cody Ziegler. Who now writes uh, Spider-Man comics. Yeah. So it was kind of, it was cool to see uh, Zig in there. Um, and it Zeb was... Wells, who's also a Spider-Man comic book writer, was oh, in there. Fun. So yeah, it, it's, well, somebody, so I was saying to like some improv class I was teaching, yeah, I wasn't satisfied by that ending. And somebody pointed out, hey, it's different than most Marvel endings. Like a lot of the Marvel endings have gotten very samey, even WandaVision, where it's just sort of like different colored beams, yes. you know, go off, you know, force against each other until the good guys win. And it's kind of like, eh. And She-Hulk had two things that a lot of the Marvel shows don't have, which is, was it had uh, sex and love, which a lot of them don't. Some of them do but a lot of them don't. And it had not a laser beam standoff ending. So that was something. Somebody pointed out, I think it was like honest trailers or one of those weird YouTube things that it did have the same ending of a lot of the TV shows that the Mm. TV shows don't have big lasers. They have people talking about their feelings or something, the the plot, Mm. like uh, the end Moon of Loki, Knight. the end of Loki and the end of Moon Knight and the end yeah. of this are all like somebody telling you what's happening instead of showing you. So it has become a weirdly a trend now. Okay. And I was like, oh, yeah. And, but when they pointed that out, I was like, well, that's a good observation. I hadn't noticed that. It's a shorter trend than the movie one, at least. It's yeah. newer. Um, uh, I they... mostly enjoy, enjoyed it. And I, I kind of wish we could like comics have like a She-Hulk in the Avengers who isn't 
breaking the fourth wall mm-hmm. in addition to this She-Hulk who is breaking the fourth wall? Because I would really love this She-Hulk and I'd love to see her in a humorous but not uh, completely over-the-top humor venue. But I, I also did... would like another season of this, just like it is. I know. I would definitely watch another season of She-Hulk, no question. So um, I'm being a little comic book nerdy fan where something about it didn't sit right with me, and I am not smart enough to articulate why. And I would come back for more, so what do I even know? Yeah, like I said, that was my initial reaction, but the the, the longer I get away from it, the more I'm like... Man, I think I dug this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that you have that optimistic reaction. Okay. Done with She-Hulk. We can actually talk about whatever we're, we can actually begin this episode now. Great. Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. So, Kevin, John Byrne and the Fantastic Four. Do you want to do a little overview here? Just I don't a brief know how one. to. I, I think I could do, do it. I could do it pretty briefly. So, like, I'll after... talk over it so no one can hear you. Great. So, well, you know, we should know what year this was, Kevin. Can you look up what year Fantastic Four 232 happened while I do this? So John Byrne was teamed up with Chris Claremont, and they did a legendary run on the X-Men, which still stands out as one of the all-time great runs in Marvel Comics history. I don't think that's in dispute. John was the artist, but he also was the co-writer. Nobody disputed 1981. Really? Issue 232? That's what it says. July 1981. Okay, so, and then John and Chris... Cover date. That's cover date. Okay, John and Chris... Um, were kind of fighting. They they were disagreeing a lot, and they went to Jim's. John Byrne went to Jim Shooter and said, "Hey, I want the X Men. Kick Claremont off and let me do it all." And Shooter thought about it and said, "No, I'm going to give it all to Claremont. Give him a new artist, but I'll give you Fantastic Four, which is like a banner title that John Byrne also loved, and he got the Fantastic Four. And he's the writer and artist from 232 through at like 296 or something like that, like almost issue 300. Yeah, he almost reached 300. Then he got mad about something else and left. Yeah, so, and and it's a legendary run. And this is, uh, Kevin and I were kids. We read this as it came out. We started like kind of midway through the run and then went got the back issues and read them all. And it's seminal in our own personal comic book history. Man, did that decision work out for Jim Shooter too? He got two great runs. Yeah, like there's no guarantee that Claremont going to FF works out even half as good. Yeah, um, absolutely. X-Men probably stays pretty good for a while, but probably not as long. Because Byrne leaves. Yeah. He doesn't get 10 years of Claremont or whatever. Right. And and then FF's probably not as good as Byrne's FF. Shooter's looking smart with how he managed the, yeah. the Marvel bullpen. I mean, I know that he's famously like just you know, ruffled a lot of feathers and and was an ego maniac, I guess. But it's hard to argue with the results of the shooter yeah. era. This is also so, early shooter before people really started to hate him, I think. Right. Maybe it was the success of decisions like this that, you know, gave him the hubris to, that he would use to maybe burn bridges later. I don't know. But at any rate, John Byrne writes and draws the Fantastic Four. He does... We're going to go over it issue by issue, but like, I think the basic thing is he was a huge burn was a huge fan of the Jack Kirby era. I mean, as is like everybody who does superhero comics, but he felt that he knew how to capture that magic again. And what I, my impression is what I remember it, I'll be curious to see if this is true, that he did it like that. He honored what was good about Kirby and fixed what was lacking. Yeah. Uh, we'll see if that's true, but I mean, that's, that's kind of what I think his intention was. The one thing I can say about you and I is we don't know a ton of what happened between Kirby yeah. and this. And it certainly wasn't something that ever drew us in. There were some runs that were probably pretty good. 
Sure. But it certainly was a comic that felt like it wasn't on the radar until like this, right? It was like it had fallen off the radar. I think so. I think it had lost its luster since Kirby left. Just like Spider-Man probably went through some fallow periods also. Sure. Yeah. It was it was there because of its its legacy. Like the FF, the FF is what started the Marvel Universe. Like, yeah, um, especially, you know, and in the in 1981, we're only 20 years removed from the beginning of the Marvel Universe. It's pretty recent, really. Yeah. Anyway. And, it's, and in some ways, uh, not in all ways, I think Byrne did a better job than some yeah. aspects of the Kirby. I think so, too. I think so, too. Run. Although he learned from Kirby, right? Stood on the yes. shoulders of. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, he smoothed out a lot of the mistakes and he certainly improved. I mean, we'll go over it, but he improved female characters. He improved the invisible woman. He was more consistent with the characterization. He also could his, pick and choose from Kirby. I mean, Kirby tried a million things over the right. 102 issues. And so like his read is less of a jerk. Yeah, he settled in on nerdy read, not like bossy bouncer read. It 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 certainly is not as huge and as revolutionary and maybe not even as funny as like the Lee Kirby stuff. Right. But there's something there's something cooler about it and smoother and more consistent about it for sure. I wonder if it's like comparing Star Trek Next Generation to Star Trek the original series. Like Next Generation in a lot of ways improved on original series, but it it also wasn't it didn't start it. It wasn't like the the big bang that created it. Yeah. That sounds right. And there was a lot of inconsistency and in sort of things that are dated about the original series, but there's something about the original series that has a ton of fun and you know, this is the wild west. We're creating something here and yeah. uh that excitement and then the next generation was maybe more consistent. And maybe even ages better, but maybe doesn't have the fire of the original series. I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's just something when like the second generation comes along and takes the reins of a franchise and they're like, hey, I was a kid. I know what makes this good. Maybe it's also like the animated series of Batman compared to Neil Adams Batman comics or something like that. Yeah, it's I don't know. Well, we have a lot of things in superheroes where like a new generation picks up the reins and and likes to tries to do what they like about it. And I think this is a successful one. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of the benefit of what the MCU does, right? Like it takes 60 years of comics and says like, let's pick and choose what parts we think work. Yeah. And then present it to the audience and smooth out the parts that, that didn't work. Yeah. And ignore the stuff that doesn't, we don't have to worry about it. We've got a free continuity. Like you get that sort of advantage too. Um, yeah, it, it's it's very interesting, but there are parts of this run that I like more. I well, I've only reread three issues, but but I think I'm gonna like more. Um, kind of the smaller stuff, I think I'm gonna like more, and then the bigger bombastic stuff, I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna miss the the Inhumans, like never worked as well as they did in Jack Kirby's run, right? And stuff like that. I mean, you don't have the Kirby magic. You just don't have that like crazy yeah. visual energy. And just like, you know, somebody shows up and you are excited just because they look insane in a way that is like, what is this about? There, there's just a lack of fun, but there's also maybe a lack of chaos in a good way. Yeah. And maybe Burn is hurt a little bit by having no one to bounce stuff off of. Like, yeah, lead. Kirby had lead to sort of like bounce things off of and like they were both so in, in, in sync, at least in that peak period of FF. Yeah. They elevated each other. Uh, and I think Burn had Claremont for that. And then maybe it doesn't have that here. I, again, when we reread it, maybe We're I'll change see. my mind and be like, 
oh, this is even better. Never mind. And also, one thing I'm curious to learn more about is John Byrne behind the scenes because you can't argue with the guy's success. At this, he's about to enter into a period where he can kind of do no wrong. Like he dominates yeah. Marvel Comics for the next, like, I don't know, 10 years, at least. From like, X-Men like, to Fantastic Four. I mean, at this point, he's also penciled a lot of other things. He did some Avengers West Coast. He does some Avengers West Coast uh, at some point. That's like a big hit. And, he did some uh, regular Avengers issues. Anything he touches turns to Alpha gold, right? Flight like was he a creates huge Alpha hit. Flight. Yeah, it's a big hit. He, does, he Then he, he's asked to reboot Superman, which he does. Mm-hmm. Um, you could argue how well he did it or not, but just being asked to do that shows what clout he had. He reboots the Hulk. I mean, he's he's kind of given huge latitude after a while. Yeah, he's kind of allowed to pick his project. I mean, a lot of the projects he's picking are ones that are not working. Right, right. Or new things, but he um, but he gets what he wants. He wants he wants a thing solo series. He gets it. He wants a She-Hulk. He she wants he wants She Hulk added to the FF. It happens. Then he wants a, a solo series. He gets it. Yeah, I mean the fact that She Hulk ran for sixty issues. Yeah, I mean that's huge. the power of it's John Byrne. Huge, and he, it, and he didn't even write more than half of those. Yeah, but he, I mean he made that happen. Anyway, I mean we we just watched that She Hulk Disney Plus series. There is no She Hulk Disney Plus series without John Byrne championing that character. I don't think. I don't think so either. Even though a lot of it was slot, it was more Dan Slot influenced. You know, Slot doesn't get a chance to do his series without John Byrne. That's right. Establishing Maybe Slot doesn't character. even care about She Hulk. Maybe, yeah. So this is one of the giants of Marvel Comics, certainly of the 80s. And this FF run, I think, really cemented him as like not just a guy who could do stuff with Claremont, but a guy who was on his own. Great. I can't believe we haven't even started talking about these issues yet. Should we maybe wait one more episode to do it? I mean, I think we should do one. I say, here's what we do. Let's take a break. Let's talk about these three issues. The correspondence okay. is just the pitches for correspondence. And then next episode, we'll start doing real correspondence. Let's take a break. We'll go over the three issues and then we'll assess if we should do some mail. Cause we might be able to do it kind of quick. Maybe. All right. We'll take a break. And we're back. So before we talk about these comics, let's talk about <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut. <so. laughs> I've been listening to the Blank Check podcast with um, Griffin and David, the movie podcast, and they have very long sure. episodes. And I've also been listening to the Unspooled podcast with Paul Shearer and Amy Nicholson, pretty long episodes. And I'm just sort of like, yeah, maybe we go long sometimes. And like, people don't have to yeah. listen, right? There's no ads. We're not doing a Patreon. Like, this is just like, you can literally just stop listening whenever you want. Like, yeah, that's what it, we want. <laughs> well, I mean, if we think, if, if we think we're serving the subject well, that's mm-hmm. not a bad reason to go along. Yeah, I'm not saying that's why I'm not saying not to not do this, but like, I, okay, we don't have to do mail every just because we have mail mentioned in the title of these episodes. As we've shown, we don't have to do anything we've promised. Okay, overall, right. Will, what did you think of these three issues? I loved them. I loved them. <laughs> I, I, I was so I was like worried that they wouldn't hold up, and I adored them right away. And I was like, these are great. Um, they really they hold up well. They're solid storytelling, beginning, middle, and end. Each issue, the characters of the FF, I think, are well drawn. Both, I mean, as illustrations and the personalities. I don't know. What do mm-hmm. you think? I mean, you also have a Diablo tattoo on your forehead. So sure. That's... I mean, I'm a you know my, uh, these things had a big effect on me. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed these a lot, um, but I also feel like these were a fraction of how good I think it is as a run. That it's going to get better. Yeah. Well, I mean, the next issue that we're going to cover next episode. Ego. Is one of my favorite 
issues. Yeah. Uh, we don't even get to like, and so that's pretty early on to hit one that's that good. Um, and these three feel very good, but they definitely feel like in a, in a way that comics don't do anymore. These just feel like self-contained solo issues just to like get you an idea of the I guess- sort of his sort of feel for the it's almost like he's feeling out the characters and showing us the work like it's it, we're not launching into a six issue epic arc. yeah i i think that's maybe a more prudent way to begin i think so but um, just don't do it anymore i was impressed with that i was like i miss the days when you could pick up an issue and it would just be a good story and it would have an arc and finish and it also just reminded me that burns just like the mechanics of storytelling, just like this happens, then this happens, then this happens. He's so clear about it compared mm-hmm. to like the X-Men, which, you know, Claremont for better or for worse, really loved to ramble and stuff would happen off panel. And yeah, things were not evenly weighted according to their emotional weight. I mean, he, you know, he was inconsistent with like, giving the right attention to what you as the audience member were thinking about, at least me. And Byrne, I think, has a much more firmer grasp just as a storyteller. Um, Like, okay, here's how we start. Here's what kicks the story off. Here's the next consequence. You're just, he's got a much more um, certain hand of that. Or that's his priority. That's more of his priority, at least. But there's not really anything, and I'm saying I love these issues too. Just maybe not quite... Uh, for me, you, they're like a 10 out of 10. For me, they were like eight and a half out of 10. I think they might uh, be eight and a half. I just was so excited to have an eight and a half. I think uh, I was dreading uh, that these were like fours. There's nothing like driving me to the next issue other than this was a good issue. I want another one, right? Yeah. Like the one thing about those Claremont X-Men's and and great runs. And I think later on in this run is like, oh, where's this going? What's happening next? Ooh, right. This is building to something. Oh man, what a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no cliffhangers here. Well, except um, for the third issue. And even that is not a cliffhanger that makes me go, ooh, I can't wait for the next issue. It's, it's just more like, of like right. a tease of what's coming. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I really like these issues. I also really love this first issue. And I was making a joke about you having a Diablo tattoo. Diablo is famously, in my mind, I don't know how famous this is, a character that Stan Lee has said he doesn't like. Okay. Because they often ask him, like, what characters do you not like? And I think he just picks them at ra- like When he gets asked questions like that, he's like, who can I remember? Yeah, right. Uh, and he goes, that Diablo seems kind of lame. And he's right. <laughs> yeah. Diablo is kind of lame. Diablo is kind of lame. Well, let's just. So this issue is di- great. Diablo is the villain of this issue. The title of the issue is Back to Back to the Basics, which I think is John saying his thesis mm-hmm. statement for his tenure on this series. He's bringing back a Kirby villain, Diablo, who was not, not that impactful, I don't think. But like in the first six issues, was he that early? In FF? Yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was more like late teens, but uh, I don't remember. I'm going to look up when he first there's no way There's no talk. way we could find out. But um, he wasn't like one of the big FF villains, like the no. way like Dr. Doom was or Galactus or, you know, uh, he wasn't a big FF character like the Watcher or the Inhumans. Diablo was like just one of the many. Oh, 30. I was way off. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I thought it was later. But like Diablo's whole thing is he's like magic and he makes potions and he's it's one an of these alchemist. real. He's an alchemist. So he like mixes things and. But it's one of these, like, he's as powerful as need be. I think in one of the issues, he, like, cures all the problems of society, but then it turns out that it's temporary is, like, his downfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And so this is the villain we're dealing with. In this issue, what he does is he creates an elemental creature 
one for fire, one for earth, one for water, one for air. That rough that roughly corresponds to each of the FF's powers. And he sets the elemental off to fight not its analog. So the earth elemental, which looks like a thing, kind of, is instructed to fight anybody but the thing. And they each initially do well, but then once the FF pair off against their analogs, they easily defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they catch Diablo and the issue's over. Right? Yes. That's the story that we got. Sure, that's the story you saw. For me, the story was about the landlady on the second page. By the way, I did think that was so funny. Like Diablo is this like, you know, classic Kirby, you know, he's talking to himself in the third person. He's making huge proclamations of the damage he's going to do. And he's in an apartment and has a landlady. Like what a Marvel comics beginning. And she looks, uh, her name is Mrs. Mulligan, which reminded me of like uh, uh, Peter Parker's landlady. Yeah. And for a moment, I was like, oh, is, is Diablo living next door to Peter Parker? <laughs> um, this also, one seems a little nicer, though. Diablo's secret identity is Mr. Old Bade, which is this Diablo rearranged. Yes. Yes. So it's one of those. Diablo like, just backwards. Yeah. Not even rearranged. <laughs> so, and, um, you know, the landlady's like, what's all that noise? And then Diablo shows up in like a disguise. Oh, it's nothing. It's nothing. And then when the landlady goes away, he turns around. He's like, vile woman, always <laughs> prying, forcing me to waste precious potions on masking spells. Yeah, it's very it's funny. Very, it's very funny also that he has to like, why not just take off your costume and answer the door as you are? <laughs> just don't wear the weird Kirby headdress. Yeah. Um, I mean, so he's, he's also got a weird Fu Manchu mustache, I guess, going on, so I don't know. So he's in an apartment. There's a radiator. He's got some alchemy going to defeat <laughs> yeah. the Fantastic Four. It d- just yeah. doesn't look like he's living high on the hog. Like He's not, he's not making well. a lot of money on his alchemy, right? <laughs> you feel like he could get like a, you know, a home in Westchester, maybe just like rent a rent a cottage or something. Also, what is his plan other than defeating the FF? That doesn't get him anything, does it? Yeah, even if he kills the FF, where does that? How's he going to monetize that, or what is yeah, he going to? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you make money. So off you still that got job. the Avengers and Spider Man hanging around, like. Um, but what we do get is sort of a parallel to the first, the very first issue of the Fantastic Four, where yes. you you meet each character individually and they display their powers. Respond in in the first issue of FF, they're responding to Reed's signal flare. That's right. And so you see each of them individually, and you kind of get a parallel thing here, where you see each of the FF responding to their they're the creature that comes to defeat them. Yeah. Yeah, it did. I did think about that too. It felt very much like the first issue of FF uh, as we kind of go one by one until like Reed starts connecting with all of them. Um, It's one of the many FF stories where separately they can be defeated, but once they team up, they, they start, they're more powerful. There's lots of little things here that I like. Um, One, I like, I like, his Sue, his Sue is already great, uh, even though she's getting her hair done, which is, feels like a very Stan Lee yeah. plot idea. But she doesn't seem like timid and nervous. There are moments where she questions her power set, but she's also up to the challenge throughout. She doesn't need Reed to tell her what to do to hold her own. Yeah, she's a hugely powerful creature. Um, and uh, she is a peer to the other three, not just the sister and wife and even in this issue she starts using her power in different ways than i think she had up to this point like where she uses it to like move herself through the city right she kind of flies basically by using her force shield to carry herself uh and she's using she they burn shows that 
she's got her FF uniform on under her clothes, but she's keeping it invisible so nobody can see it. Mm-hmm. That feels very Kirby. Like I feel like every issue of the original FF run, Kirby would find new ways to visually demonstrate the FF's powers, and so you know, Johnny would make like a flame toaster or whatever like that, you know. And um, but yeah, would, so Suga thing would Sorry, take a lamppost and use it as a toothpick or whatever. Like right, right. But Sue gets attacked by this Earth elemental and it covers her in dirt. Meanwhile, uh, the thing is that the elephant man, it's a little on the nose. It, it's a Broadway play. It's big at the time. And he's crying at the at the at this man who says he's not an animal. He's a human being. But everybody was crying over the Oh, it's a movie, right? It's the David Lynch movie. But um, I, I was just saying it feels like a little on the nose for the thing to be going to the elephant man. It's kind of funny. Also, you remember no, how like in, in X-Men, like claremont refers to the movie alien like in three different issues it feels like he's just ripping off the story i feel like claremont and burn are like we love movies and we're gonna we're <laughs> gonna just like refer to them in our stories um it's very funny here because the thing gets rained on which is a very fun thing moment yeah then he's almost drowning in water yes a water bubble we cut away from that and the torch is attacked by a wind elemental a little wind tornado we also meet the torches. I guess not current girlfriend, but I guess ex-girlfriend, Frankie and a, Ray. And about to be girlfriend. About to be girlfriend again. And Frankie Ray does not like him to use his powers, which, you know, Johnny's got a type and it's the type who don't want him to flame on. Yep. Um. So he's promising that he won't be the torch so much and they're getting back together. But then a wind elemental sweeps him off his feet. Tough to tough to not be a superhero when you're getting attacked by a magic being. Then we cut to Reed in the Baxter building. He is, you know, classic Reed just messing around with huge machinery. Um, yeah. Flipping he's, switches that are across the room. Yeah, he's just stretching out all over the place and operating a bunch of terminals. Uh, yeah, and we're, he's more thinky nerd here than like bully. I, I like him more on John Burns watch. Yes, he's less He-Man Reed Richards and more thinking brave but like a thinking man's brave yeah yeah he's an over he's an over he's an he's a professor he's not a quarterback yeah he's got a big forehead too big forehead and so the flame elemental attacks him uh he turns into a little ball and bounces away then he stretches himself out and floats gently into central park where he finds johnny and this is where the ff start to team up yes sue and ben find each other uh, it's also very fun, Johnny's reaction to seeing the flame. Uh, Johnny, when he sees the flame elemental, a flaming guy too? Now that's more my speed. That's just sort of like a fun little moment. Like if you weren't picking up on the 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 uh, uh, parallels, it's yeah. like very much given to you there without completely saying it. Uh, and also just the action of each of these is fun, right? John Byrne draws great action. It's just like satisfying visually Burn. what's happening here. Burn draws great action sequences. It was something I really forget about, but remember when we were doing the X-Men comics that he just like, they just a chore, his choreographed fight scenes just are beautiful and easy to follow and exciting, even when they shouldn't be. Yeah. Like he can, he can, he puts them in good locations and, and, and somehow you have a lay of the land. Like you kind of can stay oriented mm-hmm. without thinking too much. It's just, it, it's easy to uh, not appreciate how, how rare that is. There are some great artists who I think do not do that well. And John Byrne is one of the people who does it really well. And I love it. Sue uses her force field to break free of the rock creature. Uh, Ben stumbles into a sporting goods store where he wants a scuba tank, but he has no way of communicating it. 
the woman who is one of the owners of the store realizes it right away and gives him a scuba tank to temporarily save his life. One of one of the things I think about when I'm reading this first issue, and I know we're taking too long on this first issue, but um, it's the first one, uh, is the celebrity of the FF is really fun. Right. Everybody recognizes them and knows them. They're excited to see them. They're excited to see Johnny earlier here when the thing comes into the store. Like people want to help the FF. Yep. Uh, there's something really cool about that. And I often think about would this comic be better in not in a connected universe? I mean, I think and, I, and I think you said that before, and I agree with you. Like, and that was and nice I, in the 80s. That stuff wasn't so, so interconnected. Yeah. And there's something about this issue where like there's no other superheroes, like the idea that the FF were the only superheroes and people loved them and like there's something really cool about that. And Byrne really hits that hard, like the, the that the Baxter building is like not just a, a cool building, but like a Tourists. New York, a yeah. New York uh, landmark. Yeah. This is where the best superheroes in the world live. Even more like right. not Avengers Mansion, Baxter building. Yeah, they're up there really right cool. now. Yeah. And so this woman saving the thing, I'm just like, to me, it feels like a really great moment. Yes. Uh, she knows how important he is. She uh, And also it's very, Claremont and Byrne were both good at their time of, I think just in general, female characters were getting, it's, even, it's so weird to even use that term, but compared to how sexist the Lee Kirby stuff was in the 60s and even the Ditko stuff. Um, Byrne and Claremont were doing a lot of correcting of that. Like if there is a character who's a woman in an X-Men comic or in an FF comic, they are going to be in charge and a star and like have a personality and have a story. Uh, yeah, and even I, in even in this little scuba shop, it's a man and a woman. The man's like, oh, what does he want? What does he want? The woman's like, oh, it's a scuba tank, idiot. And she yeah. saves him. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe I mean, that maybe that seems a little like gratuitous or something, but like relative to its time, it was like the woman's not going to just shriek and the man saves the day. Yeah. And I would say compared to Claremont, Byrne isn't doing half as much, but like half as much is still more than most people. Right. I mean, just by rehabilitating the invisible girl into the invisible woman and making her a real character, he fixes a huge, you know, glaring uh, gap in the Marvel universe. Just renaming her is such an interesting thing where, like, it wasn't even, it certainly wasn't on my radar. I don't think it was on many people's radar that, like, girl was sort of a demeaning yeah. term. Yeah. That, you know, there's Batgirl, but Batman. <laughs> right, right. Uh, Spider-Man and uh, Spider-Woman, I guess. But like it, it, it often was girl instead of woman. And more than and just most... surface changes, Sue Richards becomes a great character in this run. Okay, but so I'm saying even just the name change. I agree. I agree. So, so huge. Fun thing, a fun thing story-wise happens here. The uh, woman in the sporting goods shop saves the thing. So the water elemental, they're, they're all sentient, the, the evil elementals. They ba backs off the thing and then just starts to drown the woman uh, to kind of like put pressure. It's like, all right, thing, let me have you take that scuba tank off or I'm going to kill her. There's yeah, only one to say that. Yeah, there's there's only one scuba tank in the store, so Thing sacrifices himself, gives the tank back to the woman, and the water comes back on him and starts and is about to start drowning him. He's now been refreshed; he's able to take a gulp of air. But Sue Richards shows up and uses her shield to save him. And now the F, now Reed and Johnny are together, and Sue and Ben are together, and they're starting to turn the tide. We're reaching yeah. the end of the issue. We're almost at we're almost at the end of the story here. And we get it. It's clobbering time as the Thing fights the rock monster. Um. Reed shows up and sees uh, uh, Sue fighting uh, uh, or thing fighting the rock creature. And he's surprised. Like, he's like, oh, I thought this wasn't how this was working out. 
but like his team is sort of already ahead of him grouping up. So it's also great that Reed doesn't need to tell them to do everything. Yes. Uh, Burn is confident enough that Reed can be sort of the leader without having just to bark orders, which is what Lee had him do. Yeah. Uh, Reed figures out somehow just with his like smarty brain that like if they change the state of matter that these things will go away that if you turn a solid into a liquid a liquid into a gas or whatever like that they'll just dissipate yeah there's also this great moment where like the thing and sue are sort of like are you killing these things sure they're monsters that are attacking us but do we kill Uh, they're not truly alive like rita's just sort of yeah they're like magically empowered somehow but like so they're more like robots uh but yeah it's fun that they have that philosophical moment yeah. Um, they're all able to defeat their elementals. There's a little show of force of Sue's force field where she shows how powerful it is. Johnny defeats the flame thing all on his own. Yep. Um, and again, they, like Johnny like falls into the harbor and like has to wave down a boat. Like that's just like a great moment of celebrity. And play. the boat knows hey, him. Yeah. Hey, yeah. it's Johnny Storm. Let's help this guy. Right. It's very fun. Uh, they on the last page it has shown that they recruit Dr. they know it's magic and they recruit dr strange to like star 69 the magic or whatever and figure out who cast it and they catch diablo and he is you know put away and you know saved having to pay his rent there's also something very fun like uh uh, at this point there was a new fantastic car but reed (laughs) burn keeps going back to the bathtub kirby version yeah he finds excuses like ah the new one's in repairs or whatever i gotta use the yeah, one he keeps going to the one that like looks dumber but also looks right yeah the original kirby fantastic car yeah the bath anyway yeah a really fun first issue a great showcase for all their powers everybody gets a little moment it's a great done in one issue it's everything you want in a single issue of the ff yeah and i think it's yeah so i really i, I was delighted to read it all right kevin should we go on yeah let's keep moving Okay, this next issue is one of my favorites. You like the one that we haven't yet covered, the uh, thing versus the planet ego, which we'll yes. get to next up next time we do um, Cosmic Rays and Correspondence. But uh, this one's one of my favorite, which is um, Mission for a Dead Man, and it's a torch issue. Mm-hmm. Human torch, you mean, right? Mm, oh, I didn't see that. I just thought it was about torches in general. Okay. The basic overall story here is a guy is being put to death and his last one of his last requests is for a letter to be delivered. And the priest who's like attending to him sees that the letter is addressed to the human torch. And this man who has been executed at the start of the story is asking the human torch to clear his name so that this guy's mother doesn't think he was a bad guy. And the torch realizes that this is somebody he knew from high school. He was a burnout bully. And the torch, because he's a good guy, decides to do it, if, if only because he's curious. And it's the torch investigating the crime that this man was executed for and trying to see if he really did it or not. We get some exploration of the Baxter building and how like the elevator works, which is a known thing. But like revisiting that, we get to see Johnny and Ben fighting, which is a classic trope of an FF comic. Uh, Yep. Um, And we just see some interpersonal moments where Ben storms off because Johnny makes fun of him. Reed and Sue have to go tend to something. They go uh, tend to to Ben. They chase him down to make sure he doesn't. Right. So Johnny's on his own. Also, Sue, you see like Sue scolding. You see their sibling relationship. Like Sue scolds him like big sister style, which and Johnny kind of accepts it. Johnny's kind of like, OK, she's right. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, Johnny, I will say Johnny seems less cool in John Burns comics. Okay. Like less like sports car and I mean, he's guy? still about doing all that stuff, but because it's like the eighties now, it's, it feels like, Oh yeah. He's like a fit. It's like Richie cool. Cunningham <laughs> is not cool. The, the fonts no. you mean? Yeah. Uh, no, but like he feels more like Richie Cunningham now, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. The things that made him cool in the sixties would not make somebody cool anymore. So yeah. Uh, I, I still I, like him. He seems some, young. He seems young. There's some depth here, right? Like he mm-hmm. is doing something out of the goodness of his heart and he has to be a good detective. He doesn't really use his torch powers too much in this. No. Um, I mean, in solving the mystery. Uh, he finds out that this guy basically robbed a liquor store and shot the owner and killed him. That's what he's charged with. And that the police tell Johnny, and again, you're right, the celebrity gives Johnny all kinds of access. He's just able to walk into the police precinct and get access to the records. He can go into the liquor store and be invited to walk around. Yeah, but instead of like making, I guess, instead of had that being a crutch, like I think some people look at like, oh, this hero, these heroes are liked is a crutch. Like, oh, everyone likes Superman? That's not cool. Let's make him feared. It's like this is John Byrne showing like, no, nah, it's cool that these guys are like that just tells you you tell different stories. Yeah. Um, and basically the dead man, Georgie is the dead man's name, says that he did try to rob the liquor store, but he didn't commit the murder. Um, and so Johnny's trying to see trying to see if that's true. Um, I also like that Johnny just sort of like went for it. He's like, yeah, I'm going to solve this. Like he's been a hero so long. He's just like. Someone gives me a case, I solve it. Uh, he's cocky, right? Um, yeah. He also makes a mistake, right? So the it turns out that the liquor store owner where the murder took place is up to something and doesn't want – he wants to pretend to let Johnny look around but doesn't really want Johnny to look around. Yeah. And so when Johnny starts getting too close to some evidence, he orders him away. And it's kind of like you actually don't have any right. You're not a cop. You don't have a warrant. I'm not even sure you're the human torch. Johnny gets defensive and flames on. And then they yells at the guy and kicks him out. And Johnny's like, yeah, he's right. I could have like, I'm in a liquor store. I could have just exploded everything. They don't Um, draw the human torch like this anymore. Now they like show his hair and like, it's less just lines and and underwear. mm -hmm. Like you kind of see his features and stuff like that. I miss this look for the human torch. There's something so simple and cool about this it. This is what I'm sentimentally attached to for sure. I'm not sure if that's just what I got used to when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, uh, there was something. Where does the Jackson Lee somewhere? There's a Jackson Lee reference. Um, I'm going to. Oh, uh, the Baxter building at some point. It's the next issue. It's in the next issue. There's like often references to the early 60s run. Okay. That's the, I got ahead of myself. So, um, so he, Johnny, he tracks this down and he eventually like follows this guy to see who he's going to talk to. Uh, and like, oh, he chases this guy down and like questions him. Right. Yeah. And that leads him to this mob boss, which is Hammerhead, a Spider-Man villain. Yeah, it turns out that Hammerhead had been like kind of like running this liquor business, whatever, installed his flunky as running the liquor business. And the liquor guy, whoever the owner was, was stealing from Hammerhead and uh, Hammerhead wanted him killed. And the guy who was supposed to kill him framed Georgie for the for the murder. There was a mob hit that Georgie got framed for. Yeah. And uh, Torch figures it out. And also 
doesn't capture Hammerhead, but gives Hammerhead a run for his money. And we see Hammerhead's got like an exoskeleton or something. Yeah, which makes me think of the Spider-Man video game. Yeah, me too. And um, probably probably where Byrne got the idea. Yeah, Byrne probably traveled to the future and got the idea from the 2018 video game, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he doesn't catch Hammerhead, but he does solve the murder. And he goes to the mother and says, hey, your, your son did not murder this guy. He was wrongfully executed for this. But the mother knows he might not have done that murder, but he did other things. And I mean, I think this guy admits he's done other murders. It's a weird thing to to get stuck in your cries. Like, it's not fair that I'm going to jail for this murder. I think he even says, I killed people, sure, but not this Yeah, I guy. wonder why he made that decision. That kind of weakened the story for me. He's like, make it that he never committed murder. Like, Yeah, he can be a, cro- a, a crook, but not a murderer. That's I a cleaner I, story. I wonder if it was a decision either by Byrne or the editors to make, like, this guy who gets executed has to deserve it. it. Yeah. yeah. That it we wasn't an we, unjust execution. We can't have an unjust world in our comics. But, but but it would make more sense if he had not killed anyone. So Johnny tries to make good and tell Georgie's mom, hey, this guy didn't commit the murder. But the mom's like, hey, I know he was a bad guy. And Johnny's like, what? But, I, but I'm but i trying to lie to you. And the mom's like, no, I know the truth. The mother knows. But you're a good man. You're a hero. And it ends us with Johnny in the his trench coat by in a graveyard with the wind blowing around. It's, a, it's like a little crime story here that got solved. Yeah. I think it's so cool. I think it's like such a fun turn in the second issue to do a torch issue. And it's not a flame issue. It is Johnny mm-hmm. being good. Johnny is a good person. Yeah. Uh, again, I just love that these characters are wholesome is probably the wrong word for it, but I'm going to use it. That, that they're wholesome, that they're good, that they're loved. They're decent. How about that? Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's steering into, again, what I think people would look at as weaknesses of these characters. And just treating them like this is what these characters are, and like let's have fun with these things. And it's really, really cool to see that happen. I mean, Johnny is a hero. Yeah, right. He, he got does these the right powers, thing. but he has become a hero through and through. There's no question he is who he should be. This, these powers founded unto are the right person. He does not abuse them, even if he has fun with them sometimes. Yeah, he's maybe it's also like he's shallow enough to taunt Ben and hurt Ben's feelings, but when the chips are down, he does the right thing. Yeah. Uh, we got one more issue to talk about, Will, and it's, an, it's another great done-in-one issue with a really weird hook. A weird hook. It feels very not Fantastic Four. It feels very Will Eisner. Mm-hmm. It feels very like old school, uh, like almost like Tales from the Crypt story. Not that yeah. it's horror, but that's just like a, it's an everyman with a weird circumstance. But I love this story mm-hmm. called The Man with the Power. And the idea is that there's this everyman who, because of a nuclear test in Korea or whatever in the sixties, not in Korea, in America, nuclear test. He got the power to just change reality to be whatever he wants. Yeah. He can wish anything to happen. He's such a simple minded person with, he's so unambitious that he never realizes it. Like he uses the power mostly for mundane things and doesn't even notice it. And nobody notices it because he's not doing crazy big. And reality changes around him enough that, I think he, even like his memories maybe changed. It's like, this is how it always was, right? Like he's running late to work. He goes, I wish I left earlier. So he did leave earlier. So he didn't make that wish. Yeah. So he doesn't even notice it happened. Right. He's just kind of constantly, it's like, what if somebody who doesn't want that much is given the power to get anything he wants? (laughs) Yeah. And the things he wishes were like, his house would be clean. 
that he gets to work on time. It's like he still, he still has a boss. He's got like a normal car. He doesn't, yeah. you know, doesn't seem to make a lot of money. Um, the his, aglets, isn't that uh, the shoelace things? Yeah, the company he works for is called Acme Aglet, which is like the the plastic tip on the end of a shoelace. So they make those, <laughs> I guess. I don't think that's just one company. Um, yeah, I don't think that's enough for a company to make a business off of, and. Uh, he is given it because his boss uh, has a family obligation. This guy, whose name is Skip, gets to go to New York on a business trip, and he's thrilled by it. Even though with his powers, I think he could teleport to New York at any time <laughs> he wanted, and he even, I think, rule New York. Yeah. Um, but again, he's not totally aware that of, of his abilities. So he goes to New York, sees the Fantastic Four, and he's thrilled. It's kind of, you know, this is an Astro City story is what this is. Yeah, it does feel a little. It does have that feel to it, um, because because he see we see the FF from his everyman perspective where they're saving people and he's just kind of watching. Yeah, he he wants to see the FF in action and gets to see them save a girl from a burning building. Yep, um, or a, what, crumb, a, a, a building that's slated for demolition. It's not burning, but it's going to fall apart, and she's in it, and they rescue her from it. Yeah, then what we find out is like there is some enemy in space who is sending massive gravity waves to Earth and it's wrecking New York and in fact wrecking the whole world. Like it's a massive threat. Yes. And the FFs start to realize this and they this is like a Galactus level threat and they get in their little FF rocket and fly off to fight it. And yeah. our man sees the rocket take off, realizes, and it sees the destruction happening around New York and uses his power to just fix everything. Yeah, which also taps out his power. He no longer has it when the issue ends. Yeah, he burns it out, which he doesn't uh, even know because he barely knew that he had it. Does this panel, when the thing is in the bar, Will, are yeah. you on that page? I am on that page, yes. The third panel where you see the guy like running through the rubble? Yes. I don't know. It's just a very funny, uh, funnily drawn... Yeah, that Animal, looks like old. Yeah, this this is Skip. He's running away from the rubble. He's like, "Ooh, I better get out of here." It looks slapsticky. It looks kind of. I it almost looks like funny a comic or strip. Mad Magazine. Yeah. yeah, there's something like I don't think Burn is not as funny as he thinks he is. It, it'd be my one big knock on him. Like his humor often comes to me not that funny. Yeah, he's like, like smug guy funny. Yeah, but his draw he could draw a really great humor book. I think if somebody else wrote it. Yeah, like I think Ditko is a very funny artist, and I think Byrne has that same chops. I think you're I right. just kind of wish, I wish he drew like a comic for Keith Giffen or something. Yeah, I think it would be very funny. I think it would be a great combination. Uh, he also draws good clothes. I like like the thing is in this bar, and he's got like kind of fun clothes. He's got like this kind of green like top on and blue jeans. It's funny to see the thing in clothes. And then we've said before, but Byrne draws great rubble, and he draws uh, great he machines. Does. I mean, he draws great rubble. He very really good does. machines, but like maybe the best rubble in the business, and also great projectiles. Yeah, and like settings are good. I mean, he he he's a full artist. Like he's a great comic. He doesn't book artist. I mean, he's like a good the, illustrator and just a good you know renderer. But like he's made to do great comics, and he did. Yeah, the bar the thing is sitting in is like just fully realized. It's really cool. Um, the action of the story is good. The FF trying to fight these gravity waves, and then our man just fixes everything. It burns out his power, and so he doesn't know it. He goes home to his normal life, and he never knows anything is different. The FF are in space, and 
I think ego is different, right? Ego is unrelated to the problem of this. No, issue. I think I think he is. I think ego caused the, those okay. waves. Okay, so they go into space and they. But the FF is unaffected by the wish, so in their mind, this the world is still being destroyed. Right. Um, they see that the emergency signal is turned off, but they don't yet know why. Right. Um, like the, they see that on Earth. The emergency transmission frequency has gone dead. It's as if somebody switched it off. No time to worry about that now. And that's that's because the emergency is over. It never never happened. Right. And then um, they the, the ship circles around and it's ego, the living planet, which is a planet with a face. Yeah. So the very final panel is like a splash page. Creatures of the third planet, hear me. I've tracked my enemy here across the boundless reaches of the cosmos. Now I mean to destroy him and all your puny world as well. I am the living planet. I am ego. Which I guess was a Thor. It came from a Thor comic initially. Ego did. Okay. Um, but it's also just a very weird, very 60s Marvel thing that doesn't quite make sense. Yes. In more modern comics, but is also wonderful and perfect. It's very fun. It's very Kirby. Yes. Um, and the planet's got a big old beard. I mean, he looks like a Thor character. Yeah. The, the planet. And uh, that's the end of our third issue. And we're off and running in the burn air, if you ask me. Yeah, I think these are really good. Again, when I said eight and a half, I I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's not. It as, seems weird. If if I had not read the rest of this run, I'd be like, "Ooh, man, these are great." But because I kind of know what's coming, yeah, I'm like, "Ooh, man, it gets better." I think, right? And I'm hoping that I remember correctly. He definitely. We, we reread one issue a while ago, and that issue is still one of my favorites, and I can't wait to read it again. I I can't um, either. But this ego issue is going to be a blast to read next time. And there's a few others, Tiny and Town and a few others that I'm very excited to revisit. The trial of Reed Richards, I think, is going to be yeah. great. But um, Burn is already on. He's, he's already showing, like, he knows how to tell a story. It's going to be organized. It's going to have a beginning, middle, and end. He's got a very sure hand of the characters. And it's going to be a fun FF comic that likes the FF. The comic itself enjoys the characters um, i can't imagine reading i mean we read these comics but this is still a little before our time you went by these as back issues yes that's right i don't know when you what your first issue of collecting was it was pretty late in the burn run it was the charisma issue where she lifts the veil pretty late right which is also i think the one you got you could mail away for on the captain crunch boxes if i recall correctly i think you might be right um it's right around secret wars time basically then yes um I try to imagine like if I was reading Marvel comics in like 78, 79, where like right before all this yeah. stuff happens, like the and new music started I guess, for those guys who read every Marvel comic by the month when they get to this era. But like, like X-Men was getting good. But what was everything else like? Was anything else really good? Everything point? else was starting. Frank Miller just took over Daredevil. Yeah. Um, Claremont is really, I mean, with Burn, they are, they have elevated the X Men at this but point. But I, I guess I'm trying to imagine just before that, like you're reading Marvel comics and what do you think before this happens? I think it's like you Mobius, en- the living vampire. And are you enjoying Marvel comics? And then all of a sudden this happens and you're like, oh my, this is, and this one, and this one, oh my God, what's happening? And now Walt Simonson over here, like, and it, and it basically ends with Watchmen and the Dark Knight Returns. It's just like this six year incredible run of superhero comics. Yeah. It just seems very exciting. Like, I think we came at like the tail end of it and it was still very cool and great mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to imagine coming, not even the beginning of it, but just before the beginning. I know. Of it it must have been like, amazing. 
uh, to make it a sports analogy, like I loved watching the Red Sox win the World Series in 2004, but also I'm glad for 86 to 2003 in a weird way. Yes, because it made you appreciate just, when 2004 happened. It was like, oh, my goodness. Um, and if you didn't have some of those years beforehand, like if 2004 was the first year you watched baseball, it it would still be exciting. But because that was just a great series. But would it be as sort of eye opening? And same probably, thing here. It's probably like watching television in the late 90s when like Buffy and the Sopranos start happening and you're like, whoa, TV can be like yeah, really Madman shows up and, and Breaking yeah. Bad and you're like, oh, what? I mean, we were I was watching that and it was cool to see. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something cool about watching something get to the next level. And I guess it would be subtle. You probably wouldn't know what was happening right away. Right. You'd just be like, oh, this comic's really good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's something very exciting about that idea of like, oh, burn left the uh, burn left X-Men. That stinks. I guess Cockrum's coming back. It'll still be good. Oh, he's doing FF. I guess I'll pick up an issue. I liked him on X-Men. Ooh, this is really good. Yeah. Um, they go over to Spider-Man. Ooh, kid who collects Spider-Man. That's pretty good. Like story. you see Daredevil on the rack. This looks different. Let me read this comic. Yeah. Oh, what's this Beta Ray Bill comic? <laughs> you know, this is like yeah. more and yeah. more and more stuff. And you're just like, oh, what is bad? What comic do I skip? I mean, this is what hooked us, right? This is the, yeah. the this is the era that grabbed us. Um, okay, so so no mail, I guess. I think no mail. I'm okay. Tired. So we will we will do it next time, guys. Um, well, we if did you want some correspondence. We read correspondence about. We naming. technically satisfied the the episode. So yeah. But if you are reading, if you want to read John Byrne along with us, the John Byrne Fantastic Four, or if you have thoughts about any comics at all. Uh, or, or or comics related stuff. Email us screwitcomics at gmail. We also have a Twitter account, screwitcomics, and an Instagram account called uh, screwitcomics. That I would like. I would like to get our Instagram account up to one billion followers. I think here's here's the, the thing I would like, and maybe we'll say this at the top of our next episode. If you're if you're following us on Instagram, uh, uh, take one of our posts and just throw it in your story. Yeah, if everyone did that, maybe we'd get five more followers maybe we'll get five more so okay i'll scale it back from a billion to five more mm-hmm. uh all right everybody um so yeah do that and uh when so next episode we're going to do some more burn we're going to do some more cosmic rays and correspondence next episode we're going to yeah, do issues 35 six and seven yeah do that write us and then uh we'll see where we're at all right guys thank you so much everybody see you next episode bye Screw it, screw it, we're just gonna talk about comics.